Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Hi, this is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We are proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com, other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. All right, everybody. Before I get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a new project that I've just launched. Now, after years of highlighting and promoting the knowledge, wisdom, and projects of innovators and leaders in regenerative living through this podcast, I've realized that this audio format can only ever reach so many people. There are so many others out there who engage more with other forms of learning. That's why I've started the Abundant Edge YouTube channel. Now that I'm back on the road and visiting regenerative and sustainable projects in my travels, I'll be profiling the people and organizations that are making a real impact on their environments and their communities. My goal is to show as many people as I can reach that you don't have to have a lot of money, access to a ton of resources, or have a fancy education under your belt to make a real difference in this world and create change. Now my first mini documentary highlights the unbelievable achievements of a small community called Kishaya in the highlands of Guatemala. More than 30 years ago, the land where the village is located was owned by a plantation owner who kept the ecosystem under monoculture cultivation and exploited the local people who worked for slave wages on the farm. After the owner defaulted on his loans, the bank repossessed the land and offered it back to the local workers as payment for the wages owed to them. The villagers then redistributed their terrain among the original 80 families who took back control of the plantation and divided it equally between themselves so they might care for it and create a better life for their families. Now decades later, the descendants of these pioneers have helped to transform the land into a profound abundance which you'll see in the documentary. Now if you want to see the rest, you'll have to check it out for yourself. You can find it really easily just by typing in Abundant Edge into the YouTube search bar. And be sure to keep an eye out for more short films highlighting the projects that I visit as I travel through Mexico and beyond. I'll also be releasing tutorials on everything from design theory to building and gardening techniques in the upcoming months. I really hope that this will become a resource that, like the podcast, helps to inspire you to live your highest potential by living regeneratively. All right, today, building on the theme of profitable ecosystem regeneration, I spoke with Gregory Landway, co-founder of the Regen Network. Now, Gregory has worked in ecosystem regeneration for a while, formerly working with Terra Genesis, Nova Chocolate, the Regrarians Platform, and Gaia University. Now, in this interview, Gregory gives us an overhaul on what the Regen Network is and aims to accomplish. Specifically, we explore the roles of decentralized technology, including the emerging potential of the blockchain to create secure networks that facilitate collaboration, consensus, agreements, and community. We also talk about what systemic changes would be needed to make permaculture-type stewardship of the land our default as a culture rather than a fringe practice. 
Gregory also explains how technology can be leveraged for connecting people to crucial information and to reach communities that have been left behind in the industrial information age. The exploration of how technology can be harnessed for a global shift in consciousness and renewed cultural priorities is a topic that I'll be increasingly exploring on this podcast, and I would love to hear from any of you listening if you have information or ideas on how the incredible power of technology can be used to buck the trend that has been disconnecting us from our natural world and sources of sustenance. Or if you believe that technology can only facilitate disconnection, what alternative solutions are there to our increasing dependence on digital connectivity that you might propose? You can post comments and feedback on the website or email me directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. Now before I get carried away, I'll turn things over to Gregory. Hey Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Oliver. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig in. Hey, it's my pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this chat for a while. I have a lot of questions about the Regen Network, but what do you say we start from the beginning and you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came up with the concept for this network? Sure, that sounds great. So let's see, my background, um, I've been in the permaculture movement and making a living, you know, sort of with permaculture at the center of my vocation since 2006, I guess. And uh, that's when I graduated from college. Um, And I studied environmental science in college uh, and sort of just transitioned into the permaculture movement. I really felt the, the call for solutions-oriented, pragmatic, grounded action instead of just the paralysis that I feel like is ubiquitous in the sort of like larger environmental and many social movements as well. It's just like, it's just paralysis of like, wow, there's just so much wrong with the world and then nothing. And, you know, I just really felt drawn to dig in where you're at and start regenerating the soil, start uh, cultivating a new relationship with the living world. Um, you know, and this beautiful experiment of, meeting human needs while improving ecosystem health, which is how I sort of broadly define permaculture, um, was really compelling to me. And so, um, you know, I started digging into that. I uh, apprenticed and taught, uh, apprenticed as a teacher and worked at a couple of different educational centers, Ecovillage Training Center, Lost Valley Education Center. Um, And yeah, I also have to say, you know, a really formative experience for me was um, I was in the first class of Gaia University International, which was really powerful, you know, action learning oriented, rigorous uh, community of of learners and unlearners. And, and that was really powerful. And, and out of that, I started several businesses, um, one of which was Terragenesis International, which is uh, a still um, really potent uh, design and consulting firm focused on sort of early early days focused on broad acre um, permaculture and agroforestry um, internationally, and with a strong emphasis on trying to develop financial models so that land stewards could be um, sort of financially viable um, in, in how they're interacting with diverse and regenerative landscapes. And um, TerraGenesis started to evolve because we started to feel a little disenchanted with sort of one-off um, 
design and consulting with landowners and felt like that wasn't really an intervention point for systemic change. Um, it's an okay livelihood and it's really fascinating and can be quite fun, but it doesn't really, you know, to, to achieve landscape scale regeneration or community scale regeneration, it didn't seem like the entry point. And so we started to evolve our offerings to focus more on interacting with businesses and those businesses that are activated and, and woke around regeneration and, and the, potential that humans have as a keystone species in a vibrant agroecosystem. We just wanted to work with those businesses to help them interact with the, the, the origin communities that they're sourcing ingredients from and really create reciprocity and regeneration as, as like the base layer of how those relationships are taking place. And um, that, that adventure, sort of that vocational shift and adventure is, is directly what led to um, the, the creation of region network a couple of years ago out of that work. And, you know, um, I'll just sort of say one more thing before I pause and, and hand it back over to you, which is that I think at the base of what region network is focused on um, attempting is reconnecting transactional value, um, currency agreements, the management of common resources um, to ecological regeneration. And so I think one of the things that we're trying and sort of like the, the blue sky vision, which I try to remind myself of as we get into the weeds with all the technology and economics and the pilot projects and everything, is really to create a, a new currency, a new um, way of exchanging that is backed by ecological regeneration. Or that is to say that the emergent property of multiple people exchanging on the platform results in ecological regeneration. If I am making an agreement with you, if I'm transacting with you, sort of the, the net uh, outcome of that is the regeneration of an ecosystem or an agroecosystem. And that's what we've been sort of holding as part of our North Star as we dig in and, and create this project. Now, that's fascinating, especially as we're getting into new technology, especially around decentralized movements, blockchain, and other ways of sort of creating, but also keeping track of transactions uh, in many, many different ways. And to direct these types of initiatives and technologies towards ecosystem, ecosystem generation seems like the natural progression for the regenerative movement in, in general. Tell me a little bit about how you plan to accomplish those blue sky goals and what are some of the tools that you're using to accomplish them? Yeah, well, I think we're being very pragmatic. I mean, at, at its essence, Region Network is a platform for making agreements about ecological health or agreements that are anchored in ecological health. So whether that's sort of... Um, you know, variable interest rate loans from financial institutions that the, where the interest rate lowers when ecological performance increases or the, the um, creation of carbon credits or biodiversity credits, um, land stewardship agreements, um, product premium agreements. These are all at their most intrinsic fundamental level. They're all agreements 
that are based in um, understanding ecological health and having consensus between multiple parties about the ecological health that is producing, that, that's sort of fundamental to executing an agreement. So we're really keen on building usable, simple tools where a business and a farmer can make an agreement that's grounded in ecological health. That's what we're up to right now. You know, we're running pilots. Um, one of the ones that I'm most excited about is um, a cacao purchase, um, a set of cacao purchase agreements with a, a smallholder farmers cooperative in Ecuador where there's a, an amazing group of businesses that are paying a premium to farmers that's linked to ecological performance, to their ability as land stewards to maintain biodiverse, vibrant um, rainforest farms. And, um, you know, what we're doing is simply sort of creating the trust layer so that um, the different parties a, can understand how they really are performing around their own sort of self-generated understanding of what ecological health means and, you know, making that information available to all the parties and, and B, making it possible for agreements to be executed between those parties. So um, the technologies that we're using there, it's sort of at the intersection of, as you were noting, uh, decentralized, uh, distributed web systems like blockchain where we're building a blockchain that is essentially a, a custom domain specific blockchain focused um, exclusively on tr um, ecological a ledger of ecological health as the the base layer of agreements between parties on the blockchain so that's that's one element and then we're linking that to you know, cutting edge, super geeky, fun um, advances in geospatial technology, remote sensing, you know, drone imagery, sensors um, on the ground, and also you know because our roots are also quite um, firmly planted in kind of the appropriate technology, small is beautiful sort of permaculture EF Schumacher world, you know, we're also trying our best to create this tool so that it's simple and easy for people to make, to sort of create their own verification methodology instead of just taking for granted that it's going to go this high tech route. Although we also believe that in order to achieve the scale of making regeneration and a permaculture approach sort of ubiquitous and just the status quo, we need to sort of embrace and metabolize um, the, the technology that is now coming online and direct it towards an anchored and ecological regeneration. So there's a bit of a yes and taking place there. Sure. And I, I got to say, this is one of the reasons why I was attracted to Regen Network, because I've been in touch with a lot of other organizations that are trying to create a societal shift by throwing out a lot of the models that we currently use and are kind of the, the foundation of how the world operates right now. And you seem to be going in a different direction by actually utilizing the infrastructure that is there, the technologies that are coming online constantly to you know, perhaps improve workflows or opportunities in, in certain ways and just redirecting those towards something positive and regenerative rather than, uh, so to speak, 
sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Why do you think that that approach is perhaps easier for people to get on board with? Not to say one is better than the other, but I myself feel a bit more attracted increasingly towards the approach that Regen Network is taking. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, so I recently I gave this I, I gave this talk um, in San Francisco. It, it wasn't so recent. It was about eight months ago, and you know I, I was on stage just after Charles Eisenstein was on stage, and um, who's a great thinker, and um, you know, and his recent work on climate and, and sort of his whole body of work is kind of asking us to deeply consider. It's it's pretty radical, and it's kind of asking us. You know, likely you have to sort of let go of many of the, um, just like the status quo of technology and um, how our society works. And I think the permaculture movement in general, there's a lot of thinking in that direction. And I myself, you know, uh, I resonate with some of that. I also think, and to get to your point, that you know, everybody in that room where I was giving that talk, this is my point, everybody in that room had a smartphone. Most of the people in that room um, are, st- are sort of resistant to, to embracing the, you know, hyper-connected big data, you know, technolog- technology-driven world. And I myself, I'm not a techno-utopian by any stretch of the imagination. However, I firmly believe that we have to be realistic and, and confront this massive crazy moment in our history where technology, especially information technology, is sort of reaching this ubiquity. It's just everywhere. And if there's a group of people who everybody in there, everybody's got a supercomputer in their pocket and everybody's using it to get manipulated by Facebook, you know, my question to people are, is, you know, why not design ways to use that enormous power in your pocket and the enormous power of big data and the enormous power of publicly available satellite information and the enormous power of all of these different technologies to live our values out, to actively take agency to regenerate ecosystems and to um, respect uh, dignity and sovereignty of individual humans and communities. Why not use those tools? We simply can't. It's like the other strategy is like the ostrich strategy, where you just stick your head in the sand and you pretend that 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 those technologies don't exist. So it isn't the easy path. The easy path is not to engage with that, that technology. The easy path is to stick your head in the sand. But in my mind there's an imperative, there's sort of a demand, the demand of our time right now is that we take the, the challenging sort of pathway to engage with these technologies and reframe them into an ethos of earth care, people care, and fair share. That, that ethical framework of permaculture, you know, how can I work with the technology that is being created out of a different framework and out of a different understanding of the world, how can I engage with that technology and transmute it and metabolize it and reground it so that it is useful to catalyze and support a movement, a planetary scale movement of regeneration. That's really 
at the core of what is driving me and I think the rest of the region network team as well. Yeah, I really resonate with that message as well. And it seems like while there is an incredible amount of potential for positive use for these technologies, unless we kind of come up with a consensus that particular applications of this power are better than others and that are driving us towards something that benefits everyone rather than continuing everything from resource and, and money distribution inequality as it has kind of worked till this point until we come up with that consensus, it is going to drive a kind of a larger rift in between the people uh, who are consuming these things and people who are uh, sort of curating them. And I see a lot of potential in the decentralized movement, especially on the technology side, to perhaps dissipate the effect of these few large players that seem to increasingly have a monopoly on the way that we engage with the technology in our pockets and perhaps open up for a conversation about how access to this power might be better served for the people uh, who at this point are not really getting the benefits from it yet. So how have you looked at the potential of decentralized technology in order to sort of advance the goals and the vision for ecosystem and community reg, uh, regeneration that you're pursuing? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And it's a constant tension. So, um, so I think uh, just to frame this, I, I believe that, you know, if we take, if we take Facebook, for example, you know, uh, I'm pretty pragmatic about things. I don't believe that Mark Zuckerberg had bad intentions when he started Facebook. I just think he was kind of ignorant and um, naive. Was negligent. It is naivete. And maybe there's negligence there. I think the negligence is more social than probably individual. You know, he grew up, he went to Harvard. They're not teaching the things that they need to teach people at Harvard. You know, that's just not happening. Right. So he may not have even had the potential to have the thoughts that he needed to have in order from day one to create a platform that considered that it's it's a commons, considered that it is a public space, considered that that, you know, commercial making the, the users the product and commercializing their data would be problematic. You know, um, I think now that's stunningly obvious to anyone um, who's thinking about this. But I think, you know, it may not have been stunningly obvious at the time. And if it was, then, then that's problematic. But if, I, I tend to give the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't stunningly obvious. Okay, it is stunningly obvious now to anyone and everyone. It should be. And so what we're building is similarly, it's a platform. You know, it's, it's in order to succeed, we need many different users to interact with it. The, the cumulative effect will be, um, will be built by different users engaging to make ecological agreements. And, and the network effect of the platform is what will give it, um, what, what will create the result of um, planetary ecological regeneration and, and ease of use, etc. We need many people to use it. However, you know, from the beginning, we're accepting that that is a actually sort of there's a governance burden and we must design it so that there is a, 
decentralized um, power structure and a democratic governance structure and that the users themselves have control over how the value is getting distributed. So, you know, I think we're just learning from the mistake that these, these first generation platforms have made which is alienating them from their users. I mean, who trusts these platforms? Maybe we're all still using them out of convenience, but there's a general growing unease about it, right? And there's murmurs of regulation and all these things. And, and, and you know, so from the beginning, in order to succeed in our aim, we, we just feel very strongly that we have to sort of bake in um, agency and decentralization from the beginning. Otherwise, you know, it, we could succeed building something that's user friendly and everybody could use to do something. But if the, if that just gets bought in a corporate takeover and, you know, in a big IPO and then, you know, all the people who, who bought the shares of the company are just like, great, let's extract as much value out of this as we can we haven't shifted the system. And in order to shift the system, that, that reciprocity and the relationship between users and the earth, users and ecosystems is, is prime. That's the primary. And really, there's sort of a, there's like a constitutional question here. If you think about a group of people having a, a set of agreements that they change the game from this zero sum, I win and you lose, the earth loses and, and I win in the short term, that's a very short term game. We have to shift the game to a non-zero sum game in which, the, in which both of the different actors who are making an agreement and the earth are all a- achieving sort of a, a net increase. And what that means is that there can't be the level of extractive winnings you know, there isn't this like bonanza. There's like a slow, steady, you know, just like cultivating your your uh, backyard forest garden. It's it's a slow, steady path to creating overwhelming abundance. <laughs> it's not a quick liquidity event. It isn't a stock market bonanza. It isn't this just like all of a sudden you're rich from one day to the next. It's a, and 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 the balance of that, creating the balance and coordination of that. Is, is a game theoretical challenge. It's an economic challenge. It's a governance challenge. And that's where decentralized technology comes in because essentially with blockchain, we're hard coding in a set of rules and in sort of enforcing that in order to, it, to make a network upgrade, in order to change the way that value is being distributed, we need the participation of the network to vote on that and to make it possible. And the hope is that that anchors it in this sort of like um, a reality in which to, to win the game, you have to be benefiting the earth and you have to be benefiting the other users. And that's what winning looks like. Winning doesn't look like the liquidity event, right? And uh, that's a big, 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 big paradigm shift. And, you know, it's not easy to get the kind of platform that we're talking about funded, frankly, either because people, investors are so socialized to the exit. They're so socialized to the liquidity event, which, you know, um, is essentially, it's, it's like sapping the strength of a host as a parasite and then exiting and finding somebody else. That's what, yeah, you quite know, literally like that. Yeah. 
that's what liquidity in the modern economy looks like. And, you know, I think we're all starting to wake up and realize that that just can't happen because we have, you know, the earth is finite. Um, the, the, the irony is that it's not really finite. Centropic relationships and the abundance of life can ever increase in complexity, beauty, and abundance. But you, you can't extract the base layer of living capital out of the system forever and trans, like that translation of living capital, financial capital, it has its limits and we've already gone past it. And so now we have to reverse the trend. You know, we have to, we have to reinvest in living capital and, and make that win. That has to be the winning adaptive strategy for a big enough proportion of humanity that, you know, we have a beautiful, intact, thriving biosphere and cultures that are geared towards stewarding that. Well, so how do you think that we can start to make these shifts in our forward thinking in order to take into account where value is really coming from, how it can be extracted, but more importantly, how it can be regenerated so that it continues to be a resource for future generations? Do you think it's in the educational models that need to be transformed? Do you think it's in a, in like an economic incentive, perhaps through regulation or through other kinds of incentives that are going to turn this around faster? Or do you have other ideas about where this shift could, could happen? Well, I think it's all the things, you know, but education, worldview, transformation, super important. How we, you know, we started our conversation talking about child, child rearing and, you know, that's also important. Um, it's also really important it would be great to see regulation and if done properly, you know, who knows, maybe the new green deal will offer some, um, hope. Um, um, I think our theory of change is that is sort of voluntary market driven change, um, is, uh, a key element. I'm not a, you know, maximalist when it comes to kind of like market driven approaches. It just happens to be, um, you know, where I've felt called to intervene. And so I think, you know, if you start to get a critical mass of companies and brands, municipalities, individual actors, small businesses, all accounting for ecological health and, and making goals around ecological health and, and executing agreements about that, I think you start to see a big sea change happen. And I think the moment that that a, that a big enough group of people starts to see the regenerative potential, the regenerative impact of their actions, things will start to change. Like there'll be a seed change because that is way more fun. Right. But just right now, absolutely, we can't, we can't see it yet. You know? And so I think what region network is trying to do is make that visible, you know, make it visible, the, the regenerative potential of, um, groups of people to make agreements with one another and then to ex you know to follow through with those agreements and see what happens and let everybody else see what happens and once that becomes visible i you know i th our theory of change is that will kind of become an avalanche and it will just be fun and exciting and you know meaningful and just reconnect business to meaning you know if if our collaborative efforts are generating abundance and that abundance can in some way kind of be quantified and exchanged and traded and we can have fun we can even speculate about it hey that's you know that unleashes a bunch of creativity and i think that's 
that's part of what we're aiming for. Do you feel that there's a way of uh, explaining or demonstrating the value of other forms of currency other than just money or perhaps tangible resources that might start to be able to be quantified with this new technology and particularly blockchain technology and the decentralized movement that would help to bring value to aspects of our society and especially our ecologies that at the moment are really undervalued? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, so um, back in the day, um, my um, colleague, Ethan Soliviev and myself wrote Regenerative Enterprise and introduced the eight forms of capital, um, which has become a framework that's pretty commonly used in, in, a, in a lot of different places, which is kind of cool and surprising. And, you know, as I, I was saying earlier in the podcast, you know, I think the, the trend of today is the liquidation of living capital um, and the, the ballooning and um, in, in exchange for financial capital. And we have to reverse that trend. And in order to reverse that trend, we need to understand that living capital, um, in order to be accurate, in order to be real, needs to sort of be a polyculture approach, not a monoculture approach. There is not just like one living capital currency, right? We need to create the ability for fungible and non-fungible, or that is to say um, exchangeable and non-exchangeable, different forms of accounting for things. We need to be able to create place-sourced, context-specific, bioregional um living capital currencies. And in a way, that's we're building the infrastructure for that at Region Network so that different parties can decide on the accounting framework that makes sense, whether it's quantitative and you were thinking about uh, increases in soil carbon, which we can quantify, or increases in biodiversity, which we could quantify, or uh, water quality, or, or some index, some really powerful local index of regenerative indicators that can be quantified. Or if we're thinking about qualitative agreements, where there's like a sacred connection between people, I think both and can be used to reconnect the value system. I think, you know, one place where I find myself you know, I think there's a, there's a movement which is great and I applaud it to understanding that sort of the qualitative and the unnameable is really important in thinking about value and that we can't just get caught up in numbers. And on the other hand, we need to be able to understand in numbers in, with our rational minds and account for and stop externalizing the, the deep value that is... Uh, are, that are our living systems. And I think we need both of those. And I think what we're building at Regen Network is an attempt to put um, accurate, scientifically robust, quantitative measurement tools that are linked to real ecological regeneration in the hands of people to make agreements about those. That's like one of the fundamental um, sort of utilities that we're bringing to bear. Hmm. Now, up until now, we've talked a lot about sort of the concepts and theories behind societal shifts, um, different forms of value and currency. But you've been working on the ground with these things for a while, and I'd love to hear some tangible examples, either in your own work or in collaborative efforts with others, how you've seen these things in action that give you hope that this is starting to move in the right direction. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are very hopeful these days. You know, the regenerative agriculture movement is starting to pick up steam. Um, my own, in my own life, you know, I've been working at in Ecuador in this cacao origin for almost 10 years now, and I've seen huge shifts, uh, both in the health of the farms, um, soil is richer, um, the biodiversity is being preserved, there's sort of a growing movement, both of farmers and of cacao buyers. The price of the cacao that's being generated by these farms has gone up um, significantly. You know, and there's premiums being paid for the stewardship outcomes that are uh, that have been achieved, and that that origin story is really exciting and inspiring to me. And it's not the only place, and so I think there's sort of a growing movement of awareness that sort of the higher intrinsic value of a product that is is being produced on a regenerative, biodiverse farm with a happy farmer. Uh, as the land steward is way higher than, you know, a, a monoculture extractive production model. And I think there's a growing understanding and linkage between those land stewards and, and producers and the customers at the end. And that's really inspiring. And a lot of that is being led by, you know, um, entrepreneurs and business owners who just, you know, are sort of flying in the face of short-term, the short-term profit motive. I always laugh about the, you know, like Adam Smith's theory of a rational man and that people only make decisions for their short-term benefit. I, that, and my experience is not true at all. I know so many people who are just working so hard for um, long-term health and long-term resilience and, and the regeneration of ecosystems. And um, just the, the, the name of the game is making sure that the, the business and financial reality is stable, not necessarily get earning giant profits. And, and that's what has anchored the success of that origin in, in Ecuador, which I've been referring to as a very like concrete example um, Eco Cacao is the name of the of the cooperative. I don't think they have a website right now, but you'll start to see more. Like we're, we're working on, in that context, you know, to make it very grounded. What we're working on is, you know, up uploading into an immutable land ledger the um, um, geospatial information of the individual small farms, and linking soil samples and biodiversity transects and satellite imagery so that you can see this farm that produced this cacao has this type of agroforestry system, right? And that that is just sort of can be passed on, um, tied to in a digital way, the product that's being generated and sold by that farmer so that it increases the value of that cacao so that people can see the bird habitat and the, the, biodiversity corridors and other elements that are part of the farming system there, right? And that's just, it's a fundamental transformation of how uh, value is being produced and transacted. It's really, really radical and really powerful. Absolutely. And I like that you use the example of, uh, of this cacao business because I've been in touch from here in Guatemala with uh, a couple of outfits that have started to do very similar initiatives maybe not in a cooperative model yet, but on a smaller scale. And 
yeah, like you said, the, the, the tangible results that are, are visible, that are quantifiable, really give me uh, some inspiration and some hope that even in, in sort of a micro application like this with a, a single product being produced, how would I say like it, it's, it's giving examples of how the market can start to support these things and how it doesn't have to necessarily start from scratch. There are enterprises that can be adjusted and tweaked in order to become regenerative and start to produce more than they take in uh, with a lot of other ripple effects for the health of the community, the health of the individuals working on them, uh, the health of the communities that are being supported by this income and giving meaningful work to the people who are engaged in these enterprises. Now, there are still a couple of roadblocks in the way, and I know you've talked in the past about needs for changing sort of at a systemic level, permaculture and permaculture-like stewardship in order to make it the norm, the way that we operate, the way that we take care of our ecosystems, rather than the exception where, where it kind of currently is. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a couple different levels here. One is just to like, I love the permaculture movement. I, you know, all love and, you know, out of that love, uh, I have some strong opinions. I mean, I think that, that permaculture has, it's like, it's, it's like people don't want it to become the norm. People are happy. Their identities are tied up in being the like rogue, the only people who get it. I've seen that too, yeah feeling misunderstood. I mean, that we people, we, get, we just got to get over that. It's got to, it's got to, that, that psychological block, got to get over it. Kind of gravitating to the idea of this being a counterculture thing. And it's almost, you know, kind of cool or, um, I don't know, validating to, to feel like you're not part of the mainstream, which is obviously going in a poor direction. Yeah. And, and nobody, and, and it's just sort of, you get attached to that and then you have the tribal identity and that part of that tribal identity is, sort of like is going to push away from the sure. very people that we need exclusive. to get excited. Yeah. People yeah. need to get excited about it. it. It can't be ours. It has to be everybody's. Yeah. So yeah, that's and, and getting over this exclusionary idea that perhaps if someone has come from another industry, say the oil industry, for example, or other areas that maybe we harbor some judgment or, or some opinions about that, that kind of alienate people from joining or offering contributions that perhaps aren't the same ones that we have or that we've valued in the past, but realizing that everybody's contribution toward a positive goal is a positive contribution. Yeah. And we just need to be reasonable about that, you know, and, and excited even. And um, so that's one thing. I think another thing is just upping our business game, you know, um, it's, you know, I want to see permaculture ventures, regenerative enterprise ventures that are financially viable now. Um, that has to happen. People's vocation, people's livelihood. And, and we just got to step up to the plate. And, and I am the first person to say that, that the U.S. dollar is essentially an extractive uh, unit of account. It's basically like a... Uh, a fraction of the oil reserve that is maintained by the U.S. military. You know, it's it doesn't represent life, but but that is the the social consensus right now is that that is our currency, and if we can't find ways 
to provide value to our society commiserate with having a livelihood, then we're never ever going to achieve uh, the kind of shift, kind of cultural shift where the, that unit of measurement has a different value. And so people need to build businesses that break even at least. <laughs> and hopefully build some businesses that are wildly successful and profit even in the short-term craziness that we have without extracting value, without uh, degenerating ecosystems. And there are ways, I think, to do that. They're, they're sort of few and far between, but that's the demand, I think. In, if we're going to bring this to a, the level that it needs to, to avoid some, some crazy, um, you know, planetary consequences, um, we need to just step it up and, and kind of have fun doing it. You know, there, there's nothing to lose at this stage. You know, there's, there's nothing to lose. You know, it's sort of like fail big and beautifully. If you've got that crazy idea, just step up and make it happen. The other thing, you know, the other thing, I mean, that's sort of a call to the entrepreneur, to the powerful individual, to the people who just want to take life by the reins and make it happen, which is awesome. Um, I think there's also a real need. The third need in our movement is for people to um, coordinate and collaborate and follow one another. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's exactly what I was going to ask next is like, where do you see the importance or the value in joining forces and actually using the resources and the technology that we have that make it easier than ever for us to share ideas, to get ideas and concepts out to a large audience for very little money? Yeah, it's How amazing. Can that be harnessed? It, we live in a, an amazing time in which... I think it is accurate. You know, this is always said, but there's never been a new idea, right? Uh, that's probably true. If you read the classics, like <laughs> I'm always surprised. And, and I think even, even increasingly so, we have to disconnect our egos from like none of this stuff that I'm talking about is mine or my idea even. I'm just inspired by it and doing the best to, to live into it and to embody it and to collaborate with other people who, who resonate and feel the same. Um, so I think that's one. It's like a principle for collaboration. Like, it's not yours. No, you, know, you kind of have to get your ego out of it. Like, yeah. I understand what you just said. It's part you of gotta, why I have this as an interview format rather than me just <laughs> regurgitating what I heard from people like you and others that I've interviewed because, you know, they probably didn't come up with those ideas either. It's a way of translating and communicating them to in different ways, making the connections between that, you know, probably have been made, but everybody's voice and everybody's way of communicating has value in reaching perhaps new audiences and making it make sense to other people who perhaps didn't make those connections yet. Yeah. And so if you're inspired by something, lean in. I mean, Regen Network is a, we're doing our best to design it to be, you know, our technology base is open source. If you're a coder and you're inspired by what I'm saying, this is a free and open source software project. Dive in. We, ha we have so much work to do and you can repurpose what we're doing for what you're thinking about. Awesome. More power. Because if I, if you do something amazing with it, then I can pick it up and repurpose it for our work. And so the open source software movement is a big inspiration. It's very exciting. And the linkage of that to blockchain and the ability to also 
have like a, a financial model behind open source technology is also very exciting. So, so there's that element, you know, and I think getting good at being a follower, I, I am constantly humbled and constantly working on my ability, you know, in quotes as a leader to just be the best follower possible. You know, there's so many people who are better than me, who are smarter than me, who uh, can see things more clearly than me on so many different levels and parts of this project um, that I think a big skill that, that's lacking is the ability for, for those of us who have strong voices or, you know, are striving and excited about things to be able to shut up and listen, you know, <laughs> for one. And for two, to be able to start to learn how to be a good support person, how yeah. to like be uplifting, it, whether it's like cleaning the office or watering the plants or doing the dishes, you know, like we learned these things from our parents, or at least we should have, you know, uh, help out, just roll your sleeves up and do a little bit here and a little bit there, help the people who are taking initiative. And, you know, uh, the third thing I would say is criticism is, it can be really healthy, but it also can be so erosive. And so I think we got to get over that we need to give people in quotes feedback, you know, are way more self-aware than we give them credit for. And so telling somebody what you think is wrong with their shit, I don't, I'm sorry, but that's not the way forward. You know, creating the space where somebody has the energy to reflect on how they can improve it themselves is way more potent and powerful than telling them what you think is wrong. And that's a big, big, big cultural shift because, you know, feedback and quotes has become a huge part of how we think we need to, you know, interact with one another. And I'm just not into it. I think that isn't to say that, you know, as individuals, like my choice is to try to listen deeply to people who are critiquing and not take it personally, right? But that's an intrinsic motivation of mine. On the other hand, I notice that I transform my behavior way better when I have a little bit of space to reflect myself on what I could do better. And, sure. and, and to deeply internalize that and that intrinsic motivation is so much uh, stronger. And so, you know, that's another thing is just how to be in community, how to communicate with one another. Um, it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. I really, I'm really glad that you brought up those aspects because those are all things that we can cultivate in and within our own lives and, and our own personalities that are things we can work on on a daily basis. You know, sometimes it can seem daunting to try and take on these big ecosystem regeneration tasks or, uh, you know, put forward an initiative or a project, but it's definitely worth working on these everyday skills that open us up to being better contributors and like you said be of service to other people as well and that we don't have to take this all on our own backs so with with that in mind tell me a little bit about how this resonates within your own life because we've talked a lot about sort of the global shift and and how things are moving on a larger scale but this is deeply personal to people like you and myself i know you've just welcomed a new member of the family into your life and Talk to me about what it means for you to live regeneratively and how that connects with you and your family. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's a constant humbling awareness that um, we could be doing better. I mean, I think at the moment I've focused on sort of like this larger platform building. And so the little things that I do to just sort of keep my 
hands in the earth, so to speak, you know, just making sure to do things like compost, making sure to keep my, I do seed saving. I grow out some lineage, um, corn and, and ancestral grains. And, you know, I, I'm also a member of, of a farmer co-op down in Ecuador and just try to sort of like stay connected to that as I can. And also it's, you know, it's busy and I run a tech company and, you know, so, uh, it's taking my kid out to do nature connection every day and making sure that we're taking a walk and hanging out by the stream. Those are all the little day-to-day things to just help keep myself sane. Um, that said, you know, I'm very passionate and excited at, as soon as possible to start transitioning my life to sort of more low overhead, more simple living. And, you know, that takes, it's a process, right? You, you have to do that slowly and surely if we're going to stay also connected with these bigger ventures, right? These yeah. bigger platform buildings. And it, yeah, it's a big thing. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, my best, that's my best attempt. It's a great question and a pretty hard one. It's something I think about a lot too. I'm always curious to get uh, the opinions of other people that I look up to on that as well. It gives me new insights into my own journey. Now, before I let you go, could you please tell our listeners how they can reach out to you, get in touch, and perhaps even help out and contribute to the goals that you're working towards? Yeah, well, um, you can search for Gregory Landway, L-A-N-D-U-A on LinkedIn uh, and connect with me there. I try to do a good job of, uh, you know, managing messages. I think that's how we connected, Oliver. And um, you can, you know, connect to uh, region.network and you can see there, there our GitHub and GitLab if you're a developer. Um, you can connect open source uh join join the movement coding for for life <laughs> um we've got a telegram channel that you can ping us on all that information is on regen.network um our forums riot and telegram um you know all the different ways of of connecting um yeah and and just you can also you know ping me on facebook um ping me on twitter um you know, I'm, I'm happy to connect with people as I can. I also do try to minimize the amount of time that I'm interacting online uh, with the balance of family and, um, you know, project management. But I, I also, you know, I, I firmly believe that it's important to be connected and available. So I do my best to just kind of like stay in touch and I'm happy to hop on calls with people if, um, if I've got time. And, and also, you know, in terms of the larger connection and coordination with the project, I am definitely not, you know, the, 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 the only person to connect to or even like the center of activity in a lot of ways. So, you know, if you've got an idea about a pilot, um, you know, you can, you can write to um, info at region.network and, and they'll put you in touch with our, our product pilot manager. If, you've got, if you're interested in development or code, we can connect you with the engineers. I mean, so there's a whole community of people working on things that you can uh, feel free to you know, just reach out and we'll connect you to the right person so that you can engage. Marvelous. Well, hey, Gregory, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I got so much from this conversation and I really look forward to staying in touch in the future and watching how this network continues to grow and evolve and mature because I find a lot of inspiration in what you're doing and and the people that you're starting to bring in to these endeavors and these very noble goals as well. So again, thank you for taking the time. 
Thanks so much, Oliver. Hasta la regeneración siempre. <laughs> Cabal, qué bueno. Bueno, hablamos pronto. Ok, chao. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.